Folks, my guest today is Corey Chow. He's the executive chef of the Stanwich Golf Club and famously before that, the chef de cuisine of Per Se. And if you've picked up the newest Thomas Keller French Laundry Plus Per Se cookbook, you'll notice Corey's name because he was a co-author on that book. One of the few people who got input into that book, who helmed his three Michelin starred restaurant called Per Se. And Corey was my sous chef when I was an extern at Per Se. And he certainly was a very formidable figure and someone who I drew a lot of inspiration from in kind of adopting my mindset of finesse and precision. Again, I give him so many props in this interview, and it was such a joy to be able to connect with him after so many years. And just, you know, it's one of those things where you you see these titans in your Mount Rushmore of your career, and being able to speak with him one-on-one was just a a real joy. And we talk about what he was like as a chef de partie, things that he's taken leadership-wise from his experience, advice that he would give to someone on a station, and so many more dot points. If at any point you want to pause, you want to go ahead and follow Chef Corey online or check out any of the specific linkable things, books, resources, anything like that, please do check out the show notes or the description of this podcast. Thanks so much for being with me. Here we go. One more quick help I think I can provide to this interview is an index of sorts. After listening through to our edited conversation, I realized there were certain words, abbreviations that we discussed that didn't exactly have a definition that we explicitly laid out. So I'm going to lay them out for you here. And then when you hear them in the conversation, you can know exactly what we're talking about. So let's start with JB. Corey will say JB multiple times in this conversation. Those are the initials of Jonathan Benno. He was the opening chef of Per Se. He was the chef de cuisine. Then he went on to do his own Italian-inspired projects in New York, like Lincoln and then Harta. You'll also hear Corey mention the name Chung. This is Chung Chow. So first name Chung, last name Chow, another sous chef at Per Se. So think of it like Chung was to Corey as Corey was to me. And so that's why you'll hear Corey speak so fondly of him. RTG. He mentions the words RTG. That stands for ready to go. So it's a quick way to give the green light on a prep task or a component. So if you're responsible for making, say, the pickled mustard seeds for the lobster dish, I might look over to you and say, hey, are those pickled mustard seeds RTG? And you'd respond, they're RTG, chef. So that's RTG. Haché. So haché, spelled H-A-C-H-E-R, is the French word for chop. But in Thomas Keller's kitchens, this is a unique texture you can get in certain foods where you specifically chop them with a knife versus using something like a food processor. So think about it. When you use a food processor, that gives you this result at the end where some bits get pureed, some are still chunky. But when you take the time to use a knife, some people would use two knives when they would haché things. This tends to be like a beater knife or, you know, like a a long, like 9, 10, 12-inch knife that you just kind of like rock back and forth on a mixture of ingredients on your cutting board. And you get this mixture of like cooked beets or kale or olives where you can do these two-handed quenelles of them on the plate after they've been hashed. And so think of it just like a minced mixture of ingredients like a relish or a tapenade. If there are any language points that I missed, please screenshot the podcast episode, share it with me on Instagram or Twitter with your question, and I will be sure to get you your answer. I know this was a long intro, but I didn't want anybody feeling lost in this interview. I've got a quick message from our sponsor, and we'll get right into the conversation. Hey, quick question. Are you keeping your recipes in docs still? Some sort of digital tool? 
to keep track of all of your ideas. I know I've certainly amassed quite the collection across one too many platforms over the years. I've got three different notebooks, cloud-based spreadsheets, task managers, stuff that I've covered in videos before in other podcasts. And if you spent time in multiple restaurants yourself or even gotten inspired by cookbooks on your day off, you probably know what I mean. And if that's the case, you should try Mies. Over the next few weeks, I'll be using their absolutely free tier of their recipe organization software to start consolidating everything that I have. That's my entire catalog into this incredibly powerful recipe tool. It's designed by chefs for chefs. And after having Josh Sharkey, the founder, on this very podcast a few weeks back, I knew this product was legit. So what Mies does is it transforms your recipe content into powerfully digital formats that let you organize, scale, train, and cost like never before. I want you to see why Mies is loved by over 12,000 culinary professionals and why it's what I chose to use for this organizational project. This was no small undertaking. I know your recipes are valuable. They could probably be smarter than how you've probably got them stored right now. Sign up for a free, that's right, free account at getmees.com slash TRP. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z dot com forward slash TRP. TRP is for The Repertoire Podcast. If you're early on in your career, this is one of the most impactful investments you can make while you're learning. Don't get behind like I did. And if you've been in the business for a while now, there's a massive upside to having all of your recipes stored safely in Mies, having everything in one place. So why don't we get all of our recipes organized together? If you really want to keep yourself accountable to this, go ahead and share your progress with me on Instagram. Take some screenshots of how you're enjoying Mies, and I'll be sharing your success moments with other folks that want to get in on this challenge. Again, you can snag your free account today at getmees.com slash TRP. And thanks again to Mees for sponsoring this episode. I was reflecting on the fact that I don't think I've ever actually personally heard stories of you as a chef de partie. Everybody wants to talk about you as a chef de cuisine and now as an executive chef. But what were you like as a chef de partie? Oh, man, I was quiet. I was scared. Always, always listening. Because, you know, when I first started as a Komi, I'm, I'm like listening to the, you know, more or less culture, the, the terminology, all the things that everyone was talking about. Like, you know, for, you know, something simple like RTG or like, you know, hashé, right? It's like, what are they talking about? You know, like, especially if I've never been in an environment like that, I'm like, what are they talking about? And I was, one, too scared to ask. So like, I, for example, hashé, I'm like, looking at all my books, there's no word that says hashé. What does this mean? Like, what are these people talking about? I just see them chop stuff. I don't know. I still don't know what that means. You know, and I was still too scared to ask until, you know, luckily the comies that I was surrounded by was like, you know, Julia Sullivan, Rose Garrett, Sullivan, Garrett, Gareth Evans, Sean Dickens, like all, all these people, they're like, you know, they they actually had, more, they had a lot more experience than I did. And they were, they're nice enough to, to kind of explain things. And even Chung, when he was the sous chef back there, he, you know, he helped a little, a lot, but in the beginning, it was really hard to, to ask or to speak up. You know, I would, a fun story I'd like to share with everyone is like, I, I didn't know how to find out the information. So I would go on my days off to kitchen arts and letters and pretend to buy something, but try to skim through all the books and to, to research and to, to look up everything, you know, cause back then still like, Google, you didn't really Google everything. So I just thought that was the best way. But, you know, I, I just put my head down and worked and listened and followed followed directions as much as I can and, and kind of see <laughs> see examples of everyone else getting yelled at and see, okay, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but, I mean, for the most part, you know, I, I, always, I always kept my head down and, and try to 
push for myself and push for the team. But, you know, I wasn't trying to prove anything to, like, create something and be like, hey, chef, try this. You know, I wasn't like that. I was just like, okay, I'm going to do what you tell me. You tell me to go home, I'll go home. You know, tell me to Brunoise this, I'll do that. And, you know, I just kept kept my head down and kept 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 focus on what, what the task at hand was. And that, that's, that's how I got through it pretty much every day. <laughs> Feel free to fact check me on any of this, but the story goes that when you were 28 and you moved to New York, you did a trail it per se, and you didn't get the job offer. But also another thing I haven't heard you talk about is what, did they tell you why you didn't get the job? Like, did they give you a specific reason? I mean, JB was, JB was really soft-spoken and man a few words, right? So after my trail, actually not even after my trail, it was right before staff meal on, it was my third day or second day. It was my second day of the trail. And he goes, you got a minute? I was like, sure. And then he goes, you know, thanks for coming. I know you traveled, you know, far from to come see us and be with us in the kitchen. And then he was kind of like, you know, I, I kind of don't have anything for you right now. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, that's when your stomach just drops and just like, ah, okay. <laughs> That sucks, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then I had to finish out the rest of the day. Oh man! Because <laughs> that I think you, I spent one day with the Comey Kitchen, and the next day you spend with the PM team. And then I was just like, "Oh, wow, all right." So I guess there goes this trip. <laughs> you know, I finished out the day, and then I came out with a few of my friends, and we stayed at the a hotel down Fifty Seventh Street, right around the corner. And they, I mean, it was late. It was already like, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning. They were already sleeping. I got home. I got into the hotel room and I just, you know, I, I think I grabbed a tall boy on my way home and I, all my friends were like crashed out on couch on the beds. And I just, I found the chair and I just sat there and drank a beer and <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess that's it. I'm going yeah. home tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. How long was it between that rejection moment and actually getting the job? Three months, I think. Okay. Okay. And, and then JB, JB called me and then he goes, you know, I'm reaching out because we have something open. I was wondering if you're still coming. And I said, chef, when do you need me? And amazing. I, you know, like, I, I can't remember my start date was September something. I, I arrived two weeks before without a plan. My only plan was I booked like a hotel, a hotel room for a couple of days. And then I had a hostel for a couple of days. And in that week, I had to figure out where I'm going to live. <laughs> While starting my new job in like three days or something. <laughs> I want to pivot to 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 more modern or, you know, steps further along in your career and talk about technique, because I don't know if you see yourself as this, but for me as an extern at per se, and I don't exaggerate when I say this, you were the pinnacle of precision and technique for me in that brigade. And I took every opportunity I could to watch how you could like simultaneously lock into a project, but then also like be aware consciously of like everything that was happening in the kitchen. And so I'm I'm starting to ask this question to all of my guests. What is the most valuable part of your repertoire? I would say it's almost your senses. Like you have see, smell, hear, right? And I think I I've had a conversation about this recently with with my managers and with cooks and the awareness of what's going on in a kitchen is how how you know where everything is, how things smell. And for example, when I walk into a kitchen, anywhere I go, whether it's a home or a kitchen, I, I have to inspect where everything is before I even do anything, right? 
that's like mise-en-place. It's mental mise-en-place. It's, it's all kinds of mise-en-place. But I guess you learn this when, when, you're, when you're a young chef and then you learn it from your surroundings, from everyone else around you is when that's how you become the chef is, is listening and you're hearing Chung facilitate the whole Comey team, right? Like, okay, he just told Julia to Brunois this. At the same time, he's already organizing me and Gareth on staff meal all at the same time and listening. And he can hear the dishwasher, you know, making a loud noise and he has to go through that. And then he can smell the stock almost burning and coming back, to, you know, like it's using your senses. It's using all those things from your experience in that home of a kitchen that you, that you've made your home, you know, right. Everything has a place whether it's your mise-en-place or at per se, right? You, everyone knew where the nine pans were, no matter what. Everyone knew where the third pans were. Everyone knew where the stock pots were. So you're able, I guess maybe that's just the organization of, of how Thomas created those his kitchens and everyone knew where everything was. So it's like, if you needed that, that extra 30 seconds, like, Chung, please, can you get me the Rondo to, to stir fry my staff meal? Like you would have you would know it'll be back there in two minutes and two seconds for you. And everyone can do that for you. And everyone had one objective and that was to succeed together. It wasn't like, Oh, I made my stir fry for staff meal, but you guys didn't get your rice. It was never like that. No matter who, no matter who it was, right. No matter who it was, everyone had that same mentality. And, and it was a, it, we fueled off of each other. Um, but you know, it's all those little things, and, and it's it's teaching others around you that. So when you're a chef de partie, and and the other chef de parties are telling you, dude, you what are you doing? Like you're you're burning this, and you should do it like this, right? They're also correcting your your peers. That's when that's when it's the best is when your peers are doing that. That's when you learn the most because if all your peers are telling you that you're doing it wrong, then you're doing it wrong. The sous chefs, it's their job to correct you. They're, they're going to do it. It's my job to, to correct everyone. But when your peers are standing there like, you need, you need to do it like this, or you should do it like this because it's faster, then you see it. Like, oh, okay. But then that's that's how you, when you're the person saying that to another another teammate, another chef, that's when you're taking those steps to become a chef, to become the sous chef, to become the chef de cuisine. That Those are the little things that, that people don't really realize that that's what's going to help you become the leader, a leader. This might completely flop. And if it does, we can cut it from the episode. But I wanted to try something with you because I'm obsessed with going beyond the kind of broad brush advice that certainly works and it applies. But listeners of this show love the kind of tactical points that they can use at work in the kitchen the next day. And I think the easiest way to get those is with a case study. And so I'm really looking for your brutal feedback here. Don't worry about offending me because I really want to be this kind of sacrificial lamb in service of, of progress and learning. And I, I feel more than confident now. So don't don't worry about that. The only station that I really ever worked at French Laundry was Cheese Station. I trailed a little bit on Canapé Station. But for this exercise, let's say I'm on Cheese Station and I'm just really struggling. And the specific problems that I'm dealing with in this case study is keeping up with that moment in the middle of service when the first seating is getting cheese and I have a couple of like veg cheese courses going out at the same time. And also the second seating is getting cornets and I'm just not able to keep up. You walk over to my station. What advice do you have for me? Just ask for help. Uh, uh-huh. Just speak up. 
Yeah. Because yeah. I've been there and you can't do it by yourself. 100% hands down. You can't do it by yourself. That's why Garmaji has two people. If your partner is going down, then you ask that that was that's that was great. That was what was great about the flow of that kitchen is that the canopy guy isn't busy at that time. Sure, your own peas are in the oven, but everyone else can help you. The fish guy is definitely not doing anything, right? So you can if the canopy guy is standing, if I'm standing there, I'm like, oh man, he's he's gonna you know why? Because if the, if you're going down, then everyone else is gonna go down down the line because it's just the flow. That's just the flow. You guys set the tone. That's why that's what's great is when that's why you have to be set up for your station so you can do all those extra things. So the fish guy is gonna be like, I'll stand there, I'll be like, Hey, John, what are you doing? Go help with go help with plate some foie gras or something or help those guys out. Like if you're standing there, like even the entremet, right? The entremet would go over there. That's that's when you that's when the team starts to come together. Sure, as a sous chef or as a senior chef to party, you could be like can help facilitate that but once everyone knows how to do that stuff man that's when service is easy right when you can hear the tickets right listening you hear the tickets you're like okay now it's coming in right that's when that's when all right well, it's time to buckle up or that's when you start getting ahead on cornets and then but that's it's your communication if you're struggling the first thing i'll tell you is like just ask i'll help you or you know or or the first thing i would say what do you need right what do you need and then say don't you know? Don't be afraid to ask. It's okay. It happens, right? I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I again, that was a shot. I, I, I shot my shot on that. I didn't know if that was going to work, but like, huge, huge props. Like that's that's a that's a leadership principle that I don't think gets talked about enough because it's at this, I don't know, the the toxic culture of like feeling some satisfaction people to see always, someone go down. People always get scared. People always get yeah. scared to ask because. I don't think it's ego, but you're just too scared to to ask for help because everyone else around you does it or like you mm-hmm. don't want to be the guy that always goes that always needs a hand or something. I get it. I was there and you are scared. But that's what teaches trust or that that's what it's not it's not like you're the jerk that's just standing around going, Oh wait, I need something. You know, if you're trying your hardest, everyone's gonna notice that. No one's gonna no one's gonna deny you of that. I wanna talk about fun. So I saw some of the presentations you started to do when you became chef de cuisine and and considering per se has such a structure to it and a set of these kind of frequently used components, I would see like the fun knife cuts that you were doing and some of the flavor combinations or presentations that you would lean into. And I was like, man, it looks like Corey's having a lot of fun right now. And for folks listening, fun might be the last thing that they think about in these intense three-star environments like per se. And so you can use the word play or humor if you want to replace that with fun. But how do you think about fun in your work life? I think the fun part is, sure, it's the creating part of doing, you know, a knife cut or a different sauce, or, but it's also getting everyone inspired around you, you know, and because just, you know, because I have experience and because I'm the chef there, it's my also, it's also my job to help inspire others. That's, that's what makes that place the best is the menu meetings and everyone's ideas and how I can teach the newest cheese guy how to make a great agardu with his ideas maybe right so i don't i don't think you've ever seen it but when i after i started to be the chef for a little bit i was thinking about these ideas and inspirations you know where we get inspired from and you know the wall the narrow wall in between pdr and comey kitchen yep behind yep. The, the really narrow uh, hallway 
and it has you know it has the 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 box to turn the knob and stuff yeah but on the opposite side of that wall i put on a big dry erase board and on this dry erase board i had a p-touch of everyone's name including my my name sous chefs and all the chef parties and then there's a dry erase marker there and it was the inspiration board wow and everyone wrote their ideas that they had that a project that they wanted to do or that they wanted to try and put it on the board. And then we would, when we do, do a menu meeting or we're coming up with ideas for the menu, we'd walk by me or a sous chef and look at, look at Justin's pasta that he wants to try. As far as fava bean, sure. We've done fava bean a million times. What are you thinking of fava bean farce? Well, I was thinking fava bean and savory. Oh, okay. Well, what do you think? How do you think we should do that? I don't know, chef. How, what do you think? Okay, well, maybe we should try it with, you know, we don't have to do ricotta. We can do mascarpone and savory or, or some or some sort of other mild cheese. You know, that is, it stems from that. And that was really, that was, I was proud to show people that, you know, look at everyone has an idea here and, and we're, we just feed off of each other. That's what makes everything so unique to how we did it. You know, it, it was just another version of what we did before, right? But it gave everyone a little more confidence to, they don't have to tell anyone their idea, right? You just walk up there and write it and see what everyone thinks. <laughs> it's like planting a seed almost. It's like where it's going to grow. Yeah. yeah, it really, it could change. I've always wanted yeah, to, if you, yeah, go ahead. If you Google. Yeah. Right yeah, yeah. So my, the fun part of that was when I wanted, when I wanted the inspiration board. So what is What's the definition of inspiration? The fun part was that okay, process of being mentally stimulated to do or feel something, especially if you do something creative. And there's synonyms. This is where it's gonna get good. Because a synonym of inspiration. But you know, it was just such a it was a great idea to to have everyone share something. Even if you're brand new and like, oh, what is this for? Why, why are these guys, is this how they create? And then even too, someone would write something like, and we would explain to them what it, what it was. And it doesn't have to be a fluid gel or some, you know, molecular thing. But it was, it could be something classic. You want to do cocoa bar? You can make cocoa bar. Sure. We'll teach you how to do it for staff meal, you know, and it could be something simple as butchering fish, right? And, and and that's that was the great thing. You don't have to come up with this. You can help help. You can learn how to be how to butcher. Then that's awesome. Finesse. Finesse is a synonym to inspiration. Got it. And when I saw that definition, and I was like, that's it. So we wrote. Chef Dan Bacuzzi helped me create the board, and then on top of the board, we put the definition of inspiration and put the synonyms and put finesse as one of them. I love it. Super, super cool. It's been a while. <laughs> You're one of the, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's like less than probably 10 people who have had that conversation with Chef Keller when he asks you to step into a role like the chef de cuisine of one of his three Michelin star places. If you're open to sharing, what does that conversation look like with Chef Keller? I think most of the conversations, sometimes you know it's coming, right? You kind of, I mean, that's what 
but you're that's where you're you're always prepped for the next step already, right? You can always tell who the next sous chef was, like the leadership that a chef party would take, or the way they cook, or the way they 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 did their out of place sets. Like you're, that's your out of place set. Geez, when do you have time to do that? You know, I think you kind of already know, but at the same time, yes, it's like when the words come out of his mouth, you're just like, holy crap, <laughs> really, like. Are you sure you're, you know, in my head yet? Yeah. Are you sure you're, you really want to ask me that right now? But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I was, you know, I was Eli's XX soon. I was running my own services. I was, you know, I was doing all the VIP menus for, for when I did stuff. So it's like, you know, I, I was somewhat prepared. You know, I, obviously I didn't do everything that the chef did, but we were prepared to, to run it as if, the you know, what was JB's favorite question? treat it like it's your own and one day it will be so if you treat it like your own you're already running the restaurant by yourself They're like hands down this was i have my quote right here sitting on my white dry erase board it's all over my office for these guys to see and i i can't even imagine like is there a set of metrics that chef keller asks for or does he like ask you what you want to make out of the role like as you're having that conversation after he makes the ask would you like to be like, will you be chef de cuisine? Is it, and you can only probably speak to your experience, but what, what comes after that? I guess what comes after that is it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you get the job and you're, and you're a young Comey and, you know, the chef asks you, do you want to work here? Do you want to come out? Do you want to work at per se? It's like, yes, but you don't think about, <laughs> <laughs> wait, do I get benefits? You know, like, you know, those little things. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kind of just say yes because Chef Keller just asked you to be the chef de cuisine per se. I mean, it's just yes, and then I'll figure it out after that. To be honest <laughs> with you, you know, it's like so when he asked me to help write the French laundry per se, it's like yeah. <laughs> well, what else am I going to say? No, but <laughs> or yes, but no. It's like yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's it's about a week after that. It's when you're like, oh wait, what is what is the the what's the job requirements for it? <laughs> You know, you you wrote you you co-authored with Chef David Breeden, and I'm I'm I also would love to have Chef Breeden on the show some someday. And considering you guys worked as kind of like East Coast West Coast counterparts for that for that for the time that you were Chef de Cuisine, I'm curious: is there a specific question that I should ask David if and when he comes on the show? I mean, I think we have great stories to share from where we come from. Like David, you know, David's stories were great. Like he's this mountain kid, you know, from Tennessee. Just like, man, look where he got. I mean, sure, you guys can read it in the book. I mean, those are brief summaries of, of, of our experience, but no one knows our experiences that we've gone through in, you know, more than a decade of working in this environment of this culture and the people that have gone through there. But I don't, I don't know if, I mean, I don't think we would ever change anything. Like, you know, how people always say, oh, what would you change or get the steps that you take? But I mean, for David, like, I don't know, maybe it's like, what makes him happy now? It might yeah. be different. Obviously, yeah. we're, we're older. Yeah. We're, you know, almost 15, 20 years ago, right? So it's, we're we're all different phases of our lives. And what, I mean, a fun one would be like what inspires us every single day, right? I mean, you know, he gets he gets this this awesome environment of Yauntville, <laughs> which, you know, is inspiration every single day. And, you know, obviously we, we know so many people and get inspired by so many people every single day from where we, from the, 
I guess, from where we, the kitchens that we create, you know, we didn't work at Per Se together. You know, we wouldn't know Greg Backstrom, Tebow, Joe Cash, right, Justin Connor, right, like all you guys, like Chris Hotuf, and we're all from all over the world. That's crazy. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That that was that was actually a question I had for you because you you have made a bunch of changes. You've stepped into this kind of new chapter where you're you're a dad now. You're you're in a different type of kitchen. You're outside of New York City, and from the outside looking in, it seems like you found more balance. And so, I have people asking me all the time, like Justin, I can't find work life balance in Michelin kitchens, and it's like I don't think that's a good question to be asking. But for you, how do you think about happiness? In your life, it's kind of what you make of it. I mean, sure, cultures have changed from ten years ago. The kitchen culture, specifically, the balance, specifically. When, when I became a chef cuisine, and we were trying to think of, you know, how how to, what what made us happy, and it was to, you know, shrink the hours a little bit. To, you know, I think some of the guys were coming in at like one, two o'clock, and it's like. They get to go to brunch before they came into work, you know, and that's awesome. But I wanted to make, I wanted to help make that because I didn't get that opportunity, but it was what you make out of it. And, you know, I think it is healthy for you to, to have two days off in a row, you know, the six days every week or every other, that's still hard. Like I, as, as much as I can, I try to try to make five days on two days off, no matter what here, but you know, I think I have to tell people that you have to find something that can take your mind off of off of the stress of it, right? Because you're always thinking of your prep, your mise en place. What, what did I miss on my prep list to my partner? But at the same time, you got to like decompress somehow. And that can be, you know, I think a lot of people do working out. It helps everyone or, you know, sports or something. But it's funny when, when I started here at the club, like a lot of these guys worked a lot of hours. And when I started cutting everyone's hours, because it's not healthy and I wanted you guys to have two days off in a row. And some of these guys are like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, now it's your opportunity to find something to do. You know? Um, and that's, you know, one of our specific cooks, he's now he goes into the city every morning to take English classes, to learn English better. And, you know, and that's what makes him happy. But I think maybe for me, it's helping people find that. And I think that's also part of creating your relationships and of how of with your employees and with your staff and be like, well, this person likes video games. That person likes sports, you know? So then it's like, okay, well, you know, then that's how you know your team and that's how you create the relationship. Like, hey, you should, you know, are you going to go ch- check out the game tomorrow with the Lakers or something? Or are you going to go to the driving range or, you know, but it's helping to to facilitate that. I mean, for myself, it's, you know, just spending time with my kids and I don't get to spend that much time with them from compared to before. I mean, but now I get a little more time. Now that I have two, it's a big juggle too, but it's both days, my both my days off, I, I try to spend, you know, with the family and, and try to just do something simple like go to swim class or something yeah that's huge my son just my son just started an introduction to baseball it's hilarious to watch little kids you know run around and 
run the bases the wrong way. You have these words that I've heard you use to describe these seasons in your career. So like tenacity, persistence, perseverance. And I completely agree. There's so much benefit to having this like grit to yourself as a professional. But in that moment, when you're feeling that like tap on your shoulder, that's saying, just give up. You need to stop. Throw in the towel, Corey. What is that self-talk like for yourself to keep going? You kind of have to take a deep breath and just be like weighing out what can really, what's the benefit of pushing it that, that hard, but also the benefit of taking the step back. Uriel Will Gadara say sometimes to move a step forward, you got to take two steps back. Right. Right, right. I, I heard that when I when I was part of the Nomad. I heard that a lot, but I never thought of it that way until I until I left per se. To tell you the truth, that per se, I was just like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes, and I will try my by myself first, which usually doesn't work. But I will still try my hardest and give it my all. You know, as I got older, that's when I learned that sometimes you just have to stop real quick. And regather yourself to take a breath for two minutes and then reevaluate your mise en place or your cornet setup or, or your, you know, your butchery or something. If you're butchering, you know, a hundred, a hundred black bass or something and like 75, you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to keep, but it's like, okay, maybe I have to just clean my station and re-ice everything and rewash all the towels, get new towels, something simple like that. But when you're in that mode, you don't think about that. I think that's a great quote that Will Gadara said, you know, make it nice when all those guys were there is to go forward. Sometimes you have to take two steps back and you never really think about it like that. I'm going to do some quick rapid fire ones. Then I want to let you go, but I, I would a thousand percent want to do a, a round two with you. Cause there's, yes. there's a couple of questions that I haven't gotten a chance to, to get to and I'd, I'd love to ask them. So it's, it's, it's a Saturday morning or one of those first two days off for the week. And you kind of get into your kitchen and you're going to make eggs for either yourself or for your kids in the morning. How do you make those eggs? Scrambled. Soft all the way hard. How do you hard? hard. Interesting. Hard. As you, again, you you being such a, a pinnacle of, of technique and precision in my mind, I'm curious if you have pet peeves in the kitchen that stick out. You've talked about dirty towels. You've talked about, you know, not not putting your hand up and asking for help. What what else comes to mind when I when I say the word pet peeve? I mean, dirty knives, a wiper towel. Hundred percent. A wiper towel. I guess I have a wiper towel at home, you know, it's like but yeah, yeah a wiper towel. Yeah. Just to like do that real quick. Real quick wipe. I think a wiper towel is the biggest one. I never really yep. thought about that. Yep. Yep. Wiper yep. Towel. You somehow get a call right after this interview that you've just won an all expenses paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to speak with waiting to have dinner with you. What is that restaurant and who is that person? Oh, man. What is that restaurant? It's probably, I'm going to butcher it. It's like Lee, Lee Kung Keen or something. It's the three Michelin star dim sum restaurant on top of it might be the some famous hotel in in um, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I remember they had like a black truffle crab fried rice or something. But I've I always wanted to go there. Um, I've never been to Hong Kong. Who would be there would be my grandparents. Did you get a chance to spend because they were in restaurants, right? Like they were. Yeah, but we've never really talked about my career. My mom's dad, 
he passed away when I was young and he was a bartender. He worked in restaurants in LA. And then my, my dad's father, he passed away while I was at per se, I think as when I first became a sous chef. Wow. But I've never really eaten at like some fancy place with them. But I think that would be fun to have them both there. Last question that I ask most of my guests, and, and I'm especially curious to hear your answer, is what do you think chefs can be doing better to help the next generation? You might have touched on some of this already, so feel free to remake think, a point. <laughs> I think put everyone in your shoes, no matter what, what, and give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Like Everyone comes from all walks of life, and we don't know each other, and we have different experiences and it's you know it's a simple thing as saying hello to someone <laughs> just to get just to spark that like oh okay and i think patience is huge right yeah you, you always have to have a a patient mindset with the young cook the the senior cook the 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 front of the house team and you know like i said you never really realize that until you get until you're more seasoned or more experienced, you never really think about, you know, taking a step back to, to see what's really going on and how it affects people. Your words, you know, those words affect people. Corey, I'd consider this very successful round one. I, I, again, would really like to continue. I, I want to make yes. sure you get out of here, but thank just you. thank you again for your time and just for, for everything that you do out there in the thank industry you, for folks. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to 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 be talking with you right now and I'm proud of what you're doing and I think it's great great to to just talk and share our stories absolutely well well here we are together again at the end of another episode of the repertoire podcast if this is your first time listening this is a show for hospitality creators who want to think better increase their performance and believe that it's possible to take lessons from what others have already learned I am your host Justin Kana and if you're new here I'd like to personally welcome you to the show I hope you enjoyed this episode friendly heads up to check out the show notes inside of the description of this podcast if you want to check out previous guests links to specifics that got brought up in this episode as well as other helpful content that we create and share here online because everything we do is focused on helping you along your journey if you don't have a ton of time the best place to start is with some value sent straight to your inbox every single week it's called the repertoire newsletter where we share knowledge on sharpening your skills, asymmetric upside, and exploring the industry beyond the status quo. If you subscribe, we'll keep you up to date on trends that are shaping the hospitality creator ecosystem. We'll share discounts on gear that we find, as well as content that we've been producing ourselves and helpful articles that we've already read and decided are worth your time. Last up, if you want to connect with other industry professionals in the Repertoire Pro community, you want to check out courses like Total Station Domination or download free tools that we've created, you can learn more at Join Repertoire. Com. That's J-O-I-N-R-E-P-E-R-T-O-I-R-E.com. The only ask from me is that if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate a review of this show on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify to help the podcast universe know that people like us like shows like this. Regardless, I'll see you in the next episode. My name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one.